the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today, as we continue with our study in the book of Judges, God uses Gideon and 300 men to bring great victory over their oppressors, the Midianites. We'll pick it up in Judges chapter 7, verse 18. Once again, that's Judges chapter 7, verse 18. Judges chapter 7. By this point, Gideon is done trying to get out of God's call for his life. He's embraced God's plan and God's faithfulness to what he said he would do. And that's left him with 300 men to face 135,000. <laughs> The only way they survive is if God does a miracle, right? I mean, that's clear. That's the only way. Now, like Gideon, we have God's call on our lives. You know, he's separated us from the world. He's called us to his side, and he's called us to do things. And we have God's promises as well. So when we also face impossible odds, instead of just trust the Lord for a miracle, it's easy to reason out, the possibilities of how that might happen, and then become discouraged because we don't see any way for God to come through. So as we see Gideon's faith and God's faithfulness, may we realize that the most rational thing for a Christian to do is to leave the how to God. People often question Gideon's courage, and he was a, he's a very brave man. Remember, he's out harvesting before they get there because he wants food. He's, he's being brave. He just needed to couple that bravery with trust in the Lord instead of thinking he knew best. Now, I love how Gideon puts the Lord first. He knows who's going to win this battle, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. He's just a partner in that process. And I love that God invites us to be a partner with him. So there are these interesting conundrums, and you've probably thought of these too. You know, like, if I don't share the gospel, I mean, that person, they're going to go to hell because I didn't share the gospel with them. I mean, is God going to really leave it up to me like that? And, and I understand the question because we think that God's fair and God's good and, and all that's true. And certainly God's going to work in people's lives and it's not that everything depends upon us. That's not the point. But we do partner with him, don't we? Like we do have a part to play and there are negative consequences when we don't do our part, right? So, I mean, otherwise it wouldn't matter. So our actions do matter. But at the same time, it's that God invites us to partner with him It's not because everything counts upon us. So God is faithful. He's powerful. He's far bigger than our failures, and he can come through when we fail. But he does invite her to partner with him, 
and what we do does matter. So Gideon recognizes that. And what a cool thing that God would ask us to partner with him, invite us to partner with him, command us to partner with him. So with the battle plan clearly explained, off they go. Verse 19. So Gideon and the hundred men that were with him, they came unto the outside of the camp in the beginning of the middle watch. Gideon's division, where his hundred were, they were on the flat plain there at the southern part of the enemy's camp. The other two divisions were along the foothills of those two other peaks I mentioned. So it probably was not necessarily an entire full surrounding. Remember, the enemy is going to flee in one direction, so they're probably not there. But it would look like they were fully surrounded in the middle of the night. The middle watch is anywhere between 10 p.m. and midnight because we don't know how the Midianites did their watches. So ancient watches would place this sometime between 10 and midnight is when this changing of the guard would occur. So if you weren't part of the changing of the guard, you were in bed or you were going to bed, all right? And I don't know about you, but if you suddenly heard the war horns and saw torches being lit all around you, that'd be a little bit unnerving. So they had but newly set the watch when Gideon blew the trumpets, verse 19, and they broke the pitchers that were in their hands. So there was this loud clash, and then they keep on blowing the trumpets, they break the pitchers, and they hold the lamps in their left hand. So they're blowing the trumpet with one hand. They got, they're very efficient. They're holding up the torches in the other hand and the trumpets in their right hands to blow with all, and they cried out, so not while they're blowing the trumpet, of course, the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. That'd be a bit unnerving if you just were woken up that way. It'd be confusing especially if you went to bed frightened because of supernatural dreams predicting your defeat. So instead of charging the enemy, the 300 soldiers are just standing there blowing their trumpets. They don't do what normally a battle force would do. And that, as the trumpets are just continually blowing and people are getting out of their tents, they're seeing lights everywhere, it had a catastrophic effect on the enemy forces. Look at verse 21. And they stood, every man in his place around the camp, that's Gideon's men, and all the host ran and cried and fled. The word there, ran, means to run around chaotically. So everyone's trying to figure out what's going on, and nobody knows what's going on. They can't get any intel because there's only 300 of them out there. And so they're shouting, they're screaming, everybody's yelling, and that's only making things get to a deeper panic. They're terrified, yelling for everyone at that point then, get out, run. They're all around us. And as the trumpets continued to blow and the panic worsened, confusion reigned. And that is when God stepped in to do his part. Verse 22. And the 300 blew their trumpets. They're just continuing to blow the trumpets. And the Lord set every man's sword against his fellow, even throughout all the host. Now, the word there set means to cause or bring about. God brought about that every man's sword was against his ally rather than the enemy. Now, the Bible does not tell us how God caused this to happen, how he brought it about. In 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verses 17 through 23, it outlines a similar miracle and there it actually explains that the different parts of the coalition, I think it was the Edomites, the Moabites, and one other group. 
they started, the coalition against Israel, began to fight each other. So it is possible that in the panic, every person fought each other to get safely away, and that's just how it was. But it's also possible that the alliance fractured at that moment. Maybe one group wondered if they'd been betrayed. How could they get this close, a huge army like that? We can't know for sure exactly what was happening. All we know is that God intervened and 300 sent 135,000 running. And that's all that matters. God did it. That's all that matters. You know, the psalmist expressed God's trustworthiness in matters like this in Psalm 91. In Psalm 91, he said, He that dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. So I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In Him will I trust. For surely He will deliver you from the snare of the fowler when you're trapped and from the noise and pestilence when it looks like there's no hope. He shall cover you with his feathers. Under his wings shall you trust. His truth shall be your shield and your buckler. So you shall not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flies by day, nor for the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor for the destruction that wastes at noonday. An arrow that's flying in the daytime, you can't know if it's headed for you. You're fighting the enemy, but at least you can see the arrow. But even the unseen things, pestilence in the nighttime, I mean, it sounds like a horror movie, you know? We don't have to be afraid of these unknowns. And the answer to the fear of the unknown is not knowing. It's not knowing the facts of what's going on. Is the arrow coming towards me or not? Is the pestilence going to get me or not? Verse 7 of Psalm 91 a thousand shall fall at your side, and ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come nigh to you. Isn't that a good promise? They were outnumbered immensely, but it didn't matter because a thousand fell on one side and more thousands fell on their other side. God did it. He is faithful and worthy of our trust. Now, verse 22 goes on to say that the host fled to Bethshida and Zerath and to the border of Abel-Meholah unto Taba. We'll get to that in a second. Again, I don't know if God told Gideon to do this with the trumpets and the torches. My guess is that's the case. But even so, Gideon's part, whether he made up that part and God took care of the rest or God gave him the whole details. Either way, Gideon couldn't have defeated them on his own. His part was to trust and obey. The how it will end up part, that's the Lord's part. When God gives us a command in his word, we cannot sit around wondering, well, how will that work? How will that work, God? Nor can I try to help God out with the methodology. That was Abraham's fault, right? Remember? Abraham, you know, Abraham's so down. He defeats Kedolamar and all these armies that had taken Lot captive. And he comes back and the king of Sodom offers him a ransom. And he does the right thing. And he goes, I don't want a penny of that wicked money. And it's all said and done. Abraham goes home. 
And he's depressed. He's scared. The Lord comes to me and goes, don't worry, Abraham. I'm your shield. I'm your reward. I'm everything you need. And Abraham goes, if that's true, then why is everything I own going to some servant named Eliezer when you promised me a son? And the Lord says something incredible. Unbelievable. That's what incredible means, not believable. It says something stupid when you just look at it from the logistics of how our brains work. He says, your servant Eliezer will not inherit your stuff. Sarah will have a son. Lord, it's impossible. She can't have kids. She could never have kids. Now she's too old to have kids. I have issues now too. I can't make kids. It's impossible. And the Lord says, look up at the stars. Can you imagine? You ever been to a place where there's no light pollution? The sky looks different, doesn't it? You see stars everywhere, man. Abraham probably saw pinpricks everywhere. He says, that's how many descendants you're going to have. What are you going to do? Abraham trusted the Lord. And God counted him for righteousness. That's when he decided to follow the Lord. My life is yours. That's when he got saved. But later on, as time goes by, he starts wondering, Lord, it's been 20 years since you made that promise. I mean, this isn't happening. So I think we should help you out. And so Sarah and him come up with this plan. And we know how that worked out, right? God doesn't need us to come to him with advice about methodology. Sometimes it's just as simple as obeying. Love your wife like Christ loved the church. Raise your kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Sometimes I need to seek God for direction because it's maybe not as clear. But it, the answer is never reason a solution out on my own. That's never the answer. Never. Or decide I can't obey God because I don't think it'll work. That's never the right answer either. Guys, we serve a supernatural God, amen? And when it comes to obedience, we must trust that God is bigger than the impossible obstacle in our mind. So if you're facing something like that, are you willing to leave the how it will work out with God and to focus on the what does the Bible tell me to do part? (laughs) Life will be a lot less stressful that way. So what's next for Gideon? Well, they're still horribly outnumbered, even though the enemy's fleeing. And it says they're headed towards these locations are right toward down that Jezreel Valley toward the Jordan River. That's where they're heading. They're trying to get onto the other side of the Jordan River because that's where their homelands are. And so it says in verse 23, it says that the men of Israel gathered themselves together out of Naphtali, out of Asher, and out of Almanasa, and they pursued after the Midianites. So as the enemy's fleeing, word spread to all the northern tribes that they were fleeing and tons of Israelis start chasing after them. Now, remember the men who had been dismissed earlier that day, it's not like they were able to go far. They're still in the area. And a panic rout of an army brings them back to the fight, I imagine, and probably others. But even though they're chasing them now, Gideon is concerned that they still won't catch them all. And if that happened, well, guess what? They're just going to come back next year and they're probably going to find out there was just 300 dudes with a torch and a trumpet around them and they'll be wiser to Gideon's plans. So Gideon knows we need to finish this now. 
And so in verse 24, Gideon sent messengers throughout all Mount Ephraim saying, come down against the Midianites and take before them, capture before them, or secure before they get there, the waters unto Beth Bara and Jordan. So I don't know why Gideon didn't originally invite these guys, but he does now because the enemy's fleeing towards their direction. So if Gideon is chasing them southeast as they're fleeing, Ephraim's down here. If they can come up and get there before they get there, then they'll get them between the hammer and the anvil. And so they'll cut them off and they won't be able to go anywhere because they can't even just decide, well, we'll cross the Jordan here and just go east. That's the Ammonites' land. And they can't just go walking through there because they're not going to just let them walk through their land. So seize control of that area and we think we got them. Now, Beth Barah and Jordan, that's actually the location that John the Baptist did most of his ministry. I was kind of surprised about that when we went to Israel and I saw how far east it was. It's right on the border with Jordan. It's way out there. And the Jordan River is pretty thin at this point, which makes it an ideal crossing point. That's probably why the enemy was headed that way. And thankfully, Ephraim answered the summons. Then all the men of Ephraim gathered themselves together and they took the waters unto Beth Bar and Jordan. They got there first, secured those areas. And so when the Midianites got there, they were caught. They were caught. And so it says they took or captured two princes. The word princess means two of their military captains of the Midianites. One's name was Oreb, the other was Zeb. And they slew Oreb upon the rock Oreb. That's not coincidence. They named the rock Oreb after they killed him there. And they slew Zeb at the winepress of Zeb, where they caught this guy was at a winepress, and that's where they killed him. And they pursued Midian. So they're chasing them as they're still trying to cross because there's a huge number. The Israelites are still outnumbered. And they brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon once he got to the other side, Jordan. When Gideon finally got there and they crossed over, these two captains, he showed them their heads. Hey, we had a big victory here. Some of them are still fleeing, but we had a big victory. So many Midianites got across the river still, but once Gideon crosses over, the Ephraimites meet up with them. They show them what they've done. And so it's been a big victory. But Midian's two kings, two most powerful kings, were still in the group that got over the river. So there's still work to do. We'll get to that in chapter eight. But the enemy at this point is out of Israeli lands and Israel is saved. Now, Great story, wonderful truths. But here's what I want to throw at you at the end. We so often think, well, God, just tell me the how. Tell me the how. Tell me the how. Do you think if God told Gideon the how when he's hiding in the wine press and whacking grain with a stick because he can't do it the normal way, and he's already skeptical, he's already grumpy, he already thinks God's abandoned them, and what if he turned to him and said, well, how's this going to work? And he's like, well, actually, it's going to be 300 of you against 135,000. Do you think Gideon would have signed up? My guess is no. (laughs) And you know what I have found? I have found that it's probably better if the Lord doesn't tell me the how. Because a lot of times I find myself on the edge and I go, this was a mistake. What have I done? Why am I here? Lord, I thought you brought me here. And at that moment, you're like, well, what do we do? Well, We've trusted the Lord to this point. There's nothing else to do. So I'm pretty convinced that if half the time, if the Lord told me how everything was going to work out, I probably wouldn't have gone. I had pastors over and over again warn me at Bible college, you're going to get into this and you're going to go, why did I do this? And I tell you, if I hadn't jumped in with both feet, I wouldn't be there. 
because there's been too many situations where I go, I didn't sign up for this. Parenting? Yeah, you're laughing because you know. There's so many situations where I go, I don't, I don't know what to do. Like, like truly, like marriage has its challenges. And, and I understand if, if I have a really good friendship with my wife, and so my challenges may not be your marriage challenges, and they may be very difficult for you. But for me, marriage with all of its challenges is nothing compared to parenting. And I have great kids. Parenting at times, you're just like, I don't even know where to start. Like, like with normal people, you'd sit down and have a conversation. But the person you're, that you're looking across from, you're going, they're not normal. <laughs> normal people don't act like you just did. <laughs> Something's wrong with you. <laughs> really wrong with you. <laughs> and you think things that you would not normally think as a human being. Because you're just so baffled by the situation. Your heart is wrenched, you know? At the same time, you're angry and you're hurt. So what do you do? Sometimes you go, shouldn't have done this. (laughs) Right? And it's hard. But you're already there. So now you got to see it through to the end. So I don't necessarily think it's better if we knew. I have faced so many situations. I remember the very first building we ever signed a contract for. Let me rephrase that. The first building we stepped out in faith to sign a contract for. When I was, I planted uh, a church and pastored there for 18 years and the, met in the home first. And then we, we met in the, uh, at a garden club. Um, and it was very cheap. It was like 50 bucks a Sunday. It was awesome. Great budget. Uh, but you don't have a lot of control. And, uh, and so eventually we, we felt like we wanted a place where we had more control of our environment. And so we, we started negotiating with a school. And at that time, the church was small. The church budget, I think, was like $700, $800 a month. And um, the deal for the school was going to be like 1000 a month. And uh, they were so kind to us. They were going to be giving us you know, this, all this space. It was just going to be perfect. And we prayed about it, prayed about it, prayed about it. And all the, the board said, yes, let's do this. Step out in faith. Trust the Lord for it. And I thought, this is crazy. And so we go in and we sign the contract. And I'm with one of my elders. And we get in the car. And he's like, you okay? And I said, no. I said, what do we do? And he looked at me and he goes, well, if it brings any comfort to you, we're already locked in. <laughs> and you know it did. Because it meant the only way out was forward, right? The only way out was forward. So I think it's okay that we don't know. I think it's probably better we don't know most of the time how God's going to do it. This sounded crazy. and would have sounded crazier if Gideon had not gone every step he had up to that point. Which is why we're to trust and obey, not to try to figure out the how. It's not that we don't problem solve, and it's not that we don't exercise wisdom. In obeying God's commands, we can't ignore his other commands. Like if you have, you know, saying, God, what do you want us to do with our finances? You don't ignore God's commands about loans and God's commands about budgeting and God's commands about being faithful and God's commands about not being foolish, about spending all your money and wasting all your money on things that don't matter. I mean, in obeying God's commands, we can't ignore his other commands. But our goal is to obey all of God's commands. And some of God's commands will seem crazy at times, given your situation. But here's the thing. When we consider God's power, God's love, and God's faithfulness, it's never crazy. In fact, 
when we consider those three things, doing what God says makes the most sense. And that's what the Bible tells us. And I'm going to leave you with this verse in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. And you know it. It's a verse that's popular. People quote it all the time. But it says in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7, for Timothy, who was struggling as a pastor with all the challenges he faced, he says, For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. God loves us. He's faithful and he's all-powerful. So we can love others no matter what crisis we're going through. We can move in his power no matter how difficult the challenge is in front of us. And we can have a sensible, sound mind through it all. Amen? Lord, we thank you so much for your word because it has examples of things like this where you call us to do what the world would say is crazy, but truthfully, because you love us, because you're faithful, and because you're all-powerful, makes the most sense. So Lord, help us to see with those eyes, <laughs> to see reality, that you're with us, you won't forsake us, you love us, you're good, and Lord, you are for us. You're always working, and you'll never leave us or forsake us. You're the God who heals all our diseases, who forgives all our iniquities, who blesses us. Thank you, Lord. We choose to trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.